Thank you for your reading. It's going to uh, greatly help you this morning if you've got those words in front of you in the Bible. If you don't have a Bible and you'd like one, please put your hand up and I'm sure uh, an enthusiastic steward will come running down the aisle and give you one. Which is a pity, really, because I was hoping that we could have some uh, enthusiastic running before the sermon, but, but none required. What a great uh, opening to a, a letter that Paul and Timothy write to the church at Philippi, the church in southern Greece. Some of you may have been there. Uh, a few times I've been in southern Greece. There's often trips to places like Philippi, and you can go on a very long coach journey with lots of other people. Normally the air conditioning breaks down, doesn't it? And, um, and uh, it's a very, very long day, and it may be worthwhile if you've got a good imagination. But I, prepare, I prefer to spend the time on the beach sailing. So I've never been to Philippi, albeit I've been near to Philippi. But Philippi was a very successful church. It was a model church, a church that we can all learn from, a church in which Paul had an extraordinary confidence and joy. And that's the church we're looking at this morning from Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 to 11. In verse 3, Paul says, I thank my God every time I remember you. Now, Paul often, as you know, began his prayers with thanks. And that's a good lesson to all of us, isn't it? Give thanks in all circumstances, we read in Thessalonians 5 and, chapter, and verse 18. For this is God's will for you in Jesus Christ. And indeed, the scripture is full, isn't it, of people giving thanks. The Old Testament is absolutely full of it. In the Psalms, you can read it. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his love endures for ever. In the uh, in Chronicles, if you were to underline every time it says, give thanks, you'd have almost the whole book underlined. Give thanks to the Lord. When they were building the temple of the Lord, some people's job, some of the priests, their job was to give thanks. That's all they did all day long. They sung. They had choirs at the 11 o'clock service. We've got a choir. They're going to stand and sing. They're hopefully going to give thanks to God. People like Adrian and Emma and Jane and Heather singing all day long, giving thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love to us. I will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart. I will enter his courts with praise. Paul said, I thank my God every time I remember you. And Paul remembered them often. He bore them very much in his thoughts. And though they were out of sight, though they were a distance from him, they were not out of his mind. Sam, our eldest son who's gone to university, he's got a pin board, as I think is, uh, is mandatory in every, uh, every student room, not least boys, because they forget everything, don't they? And pinned to his board, I spoke to him about it yesterday, are these words, I thank my God every time I remember you. All saints sent him a pack. They sent him a pack with that verse to pin on the board to remind him that the, the church at All Saints are praying for those students. I thank my God every time I remember you. Maybe one that, I don't put your hand up because I doubt if you do, but, you know, does anyone thank God every time they remember me? I don't know. You know, it's great, isn't it? I remember an old aunt, and she said to me before she died, she said, Tim, I pray for you every day. It's interesting, isn't it? I hadn't seen her for many years. She prayed for me every single day. I have a few very reliable friends who I thank God for every single day. 
Thessalonians and chapter 5, verses 17 to 18 says, Pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you. Paul did not just pray for a few good friends, did he? He didn't just pray for the leaders of the church. He didn't just pray for the people that he knew or the people that he thought needed help. He prayed for all of you. This letter was to all the saints. Don't just take my word for it. It says it here, okay? All the saints. When the saints go marching in, we went to visit my old aunt who's 96 up north last week and uh, my, took my dad and he said, take your guitar. I, I took my banjo and we have a little sing-along and my aunt plays the piano. He says, sing when the saints go marching in. When the saints go marching in, I'm going to be in that number when the saints go marching in. Because the saints are the Christians. They are the people set apart for God. They are sanctified by his spirit. Those who are not saints on earth will not be saints in heaven. If you're not a saint on earth, you won't even get to heaven. Paul mentions all of you five times, okay, in this little bit here. Five times. This is a dear all email. If, you, if you're at work, you often get a dear all email. It's the most impersonal thing that you ever want to receive. But here, it is very, very personal. This is dear all. I remember you with joy. Which seems strange because Paul had not visited Philippi on a master-son holiday. When Paul visited Philippi, he was maltreated. He was scourged and he was put into stocks. And for the present, he saw very little fruit of his labor. And yet he remembered Philippi with joy. He looked upon his sufferings for Christ as his credit, his comfort, his crown. And he was pleased with every mention of the place where he suffered. So far of being ashamed of them and ashamed of the people at Philippi or loath to hear of the scene of his suffering, he remembered it with joy. Paul says in verse 4 here, In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. It's great, isn't it, to think of Paul praying with joy. It's great to know when someone becomes a Christian, isn't it? It's sometimes very difficult to judge when someone's a Christian. We're taught not to judge. Sometimes you say, is he a Christian? I don't know. You know when someone's a Christian when they start proclaiming the gospel, don't you? You know when someone's excited when they start telling other people about the good news of Christ. That is particularly evident. And so why was Paul so full of joy and confident? It is because in verse 6, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ. God will finish the work that he has begun. Paul's confidence was not in the church of Philippi. Paul's confidence was in the Lord. The source of Paul's joyful confidence is in God. The grounds for his joyful confidence is in the Philippians' partnership, which God had enabled. The, the uh, Philippians were working and acting according to God's will in partnership. Partnership is, is a great... Uh, is a great word, isn't it? It's not fellowship. Fellowship's a great word, isn't it? We like the word fellowship. Unfortunately, fellowship gets watered down, doesn't it? Fellowship gets the kind of thing when you're trying to drink a cup of 
Sometimes strong, sometimes weak. Some of you like it weak. I like it strong. When it's weak, I moan. But hey, we're standing outside. We're having fellowship, drinking a cup of tea with somebody while someone's clouting you around their, their ear whilst they're putting the guitar away or something. That's what we call fellowship. That's not real fellowship, is it? That's just, you know, a few words over the, over the uh, tear fund stall, which I notice is there today. Here, we're not just talking about fellowship. We're talking about partnership. Partnership in a marriage, in a sport, in a business. If you're playing a sport, particularly if you're playing a double sport, don't ever play with me because I'm hopeless, but you depend, don't you, upon your partner. You are equal. You rely upon each other. In a business, if you are a partner, you are up there with the rest. You work in partnership and you work extremely hard. It involves energetic, wholehearted, active, consistent engagement in a project, which is exactly what all the people at the Church of Philippi had not occasionally interested out of a sense of duty, not just offering a bit of support where it was required, but from the first day until now, they had partnership in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I remember going to, uh, when we went to Chaley Church, where I went to for many years, a little uh, mission there, and uh, one of the old stalwarts of that mission, he said he looks for stickability, it's a great word, isn't it? Never heard it before. Can't find it in the dictionary. He looks for stickability. And what he means is those who are faithful, those who stick at it over the years, those who whatever the world throws at them, whatever life throws at them, they are faithful to God and faithful to his word. Stickability, partnership. Paul says in verse 7, please uh, keep an eye on these, these verses, it is right for me to feel this way about you since I have you in my heart. I have you in my heart. What a lovely saying, isn't it? What a lovely, caring man was Paul and Timothy. I have you in my heart. The apostle had an ardent affection for them, for his concern for their spiritual welfare. I have you in my heart. He loved them as much as his own soul. They they laid so near to his heart that he thought of them every day. Did Paul have a a prayer list? Well, he certainly didn't have a PDA. Everybody here knows what a PDA is, don't they? Some people don't know what a PDA is. Well, Adrian couldn't live his life without a PDA, could you? A little electronic reminder, which is fantastic. Again, particularly more for men, I think, because you forget everything. I do. So I have my prayer list in a little electronic organizer. And um, some people write it down, don't they? Paul didn't write it down. How could he? He was in chains. Probably didn't have a pen, didn't have a bit of paper. Paul's prayer list was in his heart. What a fantastic thing. For whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. So all of the church at Philippi were in God's heart, were in Paul's heart, and all of them share in God's grace with me, sharing in God's grace. What a privilege, isn't it, to share in God's grace. The, e, the ESV Bible, and I hope you've got an ESV Bible because it's one of the best translations today, the English Standard Version, and um, who has not got an ESV? Oh, no, 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 please. Mike Gardner, <laughs> no. Okay, for all of you are partakers with me of grace. You know what he needs for Christmas, Gene? very easy. It's not hard. Everybody. We can put hands up again if everyone wants to know Christmas presents. For 
You are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. King James Version, you've all got one of those, haven't you? Don't use it very often. In so much as both of my, in my bonds and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, ye are all partakers in my grace. We are all part of God's grace. I always thank God for you because of the grace given to you in Christ Jesus, says 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 4. This is the good news, isn't it? This is the good news. This is the gospel. This is, we are sharing God's grace, the grace of God, that tiny, tiny, tiny little word which passes all understanding, that tiny little word which sums up God's love for each one of us and the power that he has in our lives, that he has provided a way out of sin and death by his Son, sustaining us day by day by the indwelling of his Holy Spirit to guide us safely through this life and lead us to an, an eternal life in glory with him. You see, Paul didn't worry whether he was free, whether he was free to walk into the streets of Philippi and, pre chain, and preach the gospel, or whether he was in chains in prison witnessing to the prison guards. He didn't care as long as he was able to share the gospel. Paul's chains advanced the gospel. It's amazing, isn't it? So in Philippians chapter 1 and verses 12 to 14, Paul writes, Now I want you to know, brothers, what has happened to me has really, sorry, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. You can imagine it, can't you? Morning, Paul. Here's your porridge. Do you know why these chains are around my wrist? Because I believe in Christ. Thanks for the porridge. The, the prison guards, they got the message, didn't they? They knew exactly why Paul was there. Most prisoners you go and see, if you've ever been to a prison, they say, it wasn't me. <laughs> Paul says, it was me, okay, guilty. I love Jesus. That's why I'm in chains. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and more fearlessly. Says Paul in the word. Paul was imprisoned for the gospel. He had defended the gospel. 1 Corinthians, Thessalonians chapter 2 said, We had previously suffered and been insulted in Philippi, as you know. But with the help of God, we dared to tell you the gospel in spite of strong opposition. In verse 8 here, it says, God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ. Well, that's the secret, isn't it? You know, it's easy to pray for my friends, isn't it? Because they're my friends, they're nice to me. <laughs> and I like them, I love them, they're my friends. Is it possible to pray for the whole church? Do we all like each other naturally? I don't know. Don't answer that question. Keep your hands down, please. <laughs> Paul had in his heart the affection of Jesus Christ, the love of Jesus Christ. Do you need to be reminded of the love of Jesus Christ? I don't think so. There's the cross. We're reminded of the love of Jesus Christ. That's how much he loved us, didn't he? Each one of us. Paul had Jesus' love in his heart. That's how much he loved the church at Philippi. That's how much affection he had. We know how difficult it is to love other people in our own strength. Well, if you don't, I do. I can tell you that. But the love that Paul had comes from deep within. English Standard Version says, For God is my witness. How I yearn for all of you with the affection 
of Jesus Christ. This is God-given love, which actually should be apparent in all believers. Even though sometimes we have to look for it very hard, don't we? And pray for it. And Paul said, and this is my prayer in verse 9, that your love, that your love may abound more and more in the knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. You see, Paul often in his messages, in his letters, he said, and pray for us, brothers, doesn't he? He often says, and, and pray for us. Here he's saying, he's praying for others. He's saying that your love may abound, because I know that of yourself it's difficult to love other people. Of course it's difficult. It's often difficult to love the preacher, and because I don't automatically warm to a lot of preachers, I assume that a lot of people don't automatically warm to me. So get over it. Please get over it. If there's anything about me you find irritating, get over it. Because Paul says, pray that your love may abound in more knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best, may be pure and blameless. Because you can be sure if there's something irritating about me, the devil is saying it to you in your brain right now, for goodness sake, he's too noisy, he speaks too quickly. Whatever it might be, the devil is, is making you think those thoughts. Because here, Paul's saying, I pray that your love would overabound, would overflow in knowledge and in all judgment. It's not a blind love, is it, that would recommend us to God, but a love grounded in knowledge and judgment. We must love God because of his infinite excellence and loveliness. We must love our brethren because of what we see of the image of God in them. Very important things. Strong pas passions without knowledge and a settled judgment will not make us complete in the will of God and sometimes can do more harm than good. We've seen, haven't we, throughout history and still today that many people have a zeal for God but not according to knowledge or love and that transports them to do rage and violent acts. Paul is praying here that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and discernment that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God that your love may abound in every situation, in every decision, in every relationship, every day, says Paul in this word. You might think I'm going on too long as well, sorry, but I'm going to go to the end. Governed by growing abundance of the heart of Jesus with deep personal knowledge of Jesus and understanding how he would speak and act and direct his energies in every circumstance. So being right with God is a very important thing. And Paul was praying that the Philippians would be right with God and that would shape every situation. At school, at work, at rest, at play, in the office, over the phone, on the road, in the school. Paul prayed that it would shape every relationship. Family, friends, husbands, wives, children, colleagues. Why? Why? Because Paul had the end in sight. He mentions the day of Christ. He talks about having an inter eternal investment. The day of Christ. Do you often think about the day of Christ? I, dare you, I tell you what, I dare you to read Revelation. I just finished reading Revelation. I keep reading it. Read Revelation if you've got the stomach for it. 
because it is a very scary book. It is a very confusing book. There's so much about it that is difficult to understand. It should have a health warning on it. That tells us about the day of Christ. Read it if you dare. It is an awful day. It could be a great day. It could be a dreadful day. Either way, it is an awful day. This is the day that we're preparing for. This is why Paul is writing about all of this. And this is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and in depth and in insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. Paul is saying, I pray that you will be ready, that you will be those with your lamps trimmed for action, filled with the fruits of righteousness, ripe for the picking. We had harvest here a few weeks ago, didn't we? And uh, these days we have a relatively modest display, which is not a criticism, that's what churches do these days, a little pile of stuff in the corner just to remind us that it's harvest. In the old days, we used to bring the whole garden into the church, didn't we? You remember that? I used to love it, the smell as a little boy of all those plants and flowers and vegetables and people used to grow pumpkins and all that kind of thing. Who grows pumpkins anymore? Nobody. And uh, some people might. Anyone here grow pumpkins? Nobody. So, marrows? No. And I used to, oh, look, well done, one... I used to love the smell of that. I used to love the, the, the autumn scene. When we went to church in Chaley, little old country church, of course, it meant a lot more because people didn't go to Sainsbury's for their food. They actually grew food. Their livelihood, everything, depend on the harvest. They thank God a lot more at the end of the year, at the end of the season, when their well-being depends upon growing food and they bring a lot more of their first fruits to the church. The fields are ripe for harvest. Some people didn't even come to church during the harvest period. Why? Because they were harvesting the, the, the goods. Because you can't give up. You can't say, I've got a tummy ache today. I can't get in the harvest. It's raining. It's too hot. I've got a bit of a headache. Get on with it. There's a very short window of opportunity, speaking like the farming expert I'm not, where you have to get in that harvest. Get in that harvest very quickly before it is spoiled. It is ripe for the harvest. And therefore, when the autumn scene is here, that's the time when it is ripe for the harvest. And churches used to be dripping with fruit and flowers and vegetables and that kind of thing. Paul is speaking about the final day. The final day, which is ripe for the harvest. An awful day. You can't take time off as a Christian. He's saying to the church of Philippi, let your love abound. You might have a tummy ache, a headache, not feeling very well today. You might be in chains. You can't take a day off. May your love overflow to the glory and praise of God. That's the last little verse in this bit. To the glory and praise, not for the good of the cause, not for the good of the church, not because it's going to help other people out, not to promote the denomination, not to show that this is the only and true religion, but simply to the praise and the glory of God. For I know in whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Because God will finish his work, with us or without us. God will finish his work. Says Jesus, I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the beginning and the end. In this life, there are a lot of things unfinished, aren't they? And those things are often unfinished because of our human frailty, because we lose interest or run out of resource. God will always finish what he started. And through Jesus, he's already defeated death, hasn't he? He has the victory already. And this is the gospel. And Paul said, 
I thank God for his work in his people. This at Philippi was a model church, which was on track with God in the gospel partnership that gave him great cause for joy and gratitude to God. Verses 9 to 11 shows here that there is more to look forward to. We have not reached yet the day of Christ, but he enables and he sustains the church, but there is still room to increase the harvest. Paul, an apostle bound in prison by chains, wrote to the church at Philippi. Despite his loss of liberty and opposition from fellow workers, the letter radiates joy. Joy that Christ was proclaimed. Joy in fellowship with the Philippian Christians. And above all, joy in Jesus himself. I pray that the Lord would bless these words to us and these verses as we think about them in the coming week. And that they might encourage us in the way that we talk to our Christian friends and pray for them. Amen. Our final song is um, echoing some of the words. To the praise of his glory and power, to him be all glory, honor and praise forever and ever. Oh, the mercy of God. Let's stand and sing. Mm-hmm.